This podcast is produced and managed by Kangaroo Fern Media Lab, Australia's independent video and podcast company. We do the podcasting hard bits so you don't have to. We make podcasts easy. Book a call at www.kangaroofern.com www.k-a-n-g-a-r-o-o-f-e-r-n.com This podcast is brought to you by Guerrilla Podcast Syndicate, powered by Kangaroo Fern Media Lab. Kangaroo Fern is Australia's independent video and podcast management agency with the mission to help individuals and entrepreneurs to start their own podcasts and harness the power of podcasting. Book now via www.kangaroofern.com. A Kangaroo Fern production. Real up podcast syndicate. Hey, we can do is just get stops and run. Stops and run, guys. Push, push, push every time. Extra, extra, extra session with Kiko Malikdera. Tackles everything about the world of sports, especially the one close to the host heart. Basketball. Updates, discussion, clarification, name it. Extra session has it. Extra, extra, extra session with Kiko Malikdera. Okay, good day everyone and welcome to Season 2, Episode 1 of your favorite sports podcast extra session with Kiko Malikdem here in Guerrilla Podcast Syndicate, Philippines. Overall, this is Episode 30 of this podcast and I would like to say thank you to everyone who has supported this show since the beginning. So happy 2021. Hope all is well uh, despite you know the continued presence of the coronavirus. So today... We are very fortunate to have with us a renowned coach, and he has been in the basketball circles all throughout the world, especially here in Southeast Asia. He guided the Indonesian Warriors to the ASEAN Basketball League Championship back in 2012 and handled several teams, uh, including uh, Satria Muda, Macau, uh, Wolf Warriors. And then he was also an active consultant of the Petron San Miguel team in the PBA. He also had an NBA experience under his belt wherein he was a video intern and video coordinator for the Sacramento Kings for two to three seasons. And he was also a national head coach for the Vietnam basketball team. Ladies and gentlemen, Coach Todd Burks. Coach, good day. <laughs> Kiko, thank you so much for having me, brother. I appreciate you. And uh, yeah, I'm just blessed to be on here with you. Okay, so how are you doing right now? Hope all is well. What's keeping Coach Todd Perps busy right now? <laughs> you know, my spirits feel good, Kiko. My spirits feel good. I'm out here in California. As many of your viewers will know, this uh, coronavirus has got things uh, pretty roughed up out here. Uh, so we're grinding through it. But uh, it's a fortunate time that I get to spend with some family. And I can't wait to get back out to Asia. Uh, Southeast Asia and, and get to competing back to some basketball. In the meantime, I'm trying to, like everyone else, mitigate the uh, the events that we're going through. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning. No, so uh, how did basketball became part of your life? Were you a player or you actually ventured immediately into coaching? You know, I, I was a player and uh, I wasn't a particularly great player. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> Short guy. I'm only about, I, I'm a 5'8", good dude about, and uh, but I loved the game. And so I competed and I liked to be physical. So I, 
I played mostly American football growing up oh. and played uh, American basketball and, uh, and baseball. But uh, so going into it, I just loved competing and playing sports. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately for me, uh, God did not bless me with the abilities uh, that you'd want to have to be a professional. <laughs> so I'm not a tall guy. I'm not an athletic guy. Um, I just love it. And so I, I learned to be a good player when I was a young man. And uh, quite frankly, to be honest with you, Kiko, I think I knew in high school I was going to be a coach or I want to be a coach because I knew I didn't have those uh, attributes to really be a, a legit player on a high level. So who were your basketball idols, you know, uh, when growing up? Oh, sure. You know, when I was a real young man, um, my idol was Dr. J. Wow. Dr. <laughs> J in the early days, he brought a different type of style to the game that I thought was real cool. So I was just a young man, uh, a kid, and watching and falling in love with the game. Dr. J was was a big influence on me. I watched Larry Bird and Magic Johnson compete in my early days. And then once I uh, reached about junior high school, well, Michael Jordan came on board and that changed everything. So when Mike came on board, we it was different. You watched uh, Akeem Olajuwon and some of the Rockets teams compete a little bit but basically when Mike wanted to be in the NBA he was just going to stack chips and so yeah I was there to watch short shorts go to long shorts I was there to watch the Jordan ones become a cool basketball shoe and I fell in love with it bro I really did so yeah after that uh, I knew well I'm not a great athlete but I might be able to coach I don't know <laughs> so You know, uh, looking at your coaching resume, you know, how you started, you know, one thing that, you know, that caught the attention, my attention actually, was you you were the, you became a part of the NBA, an NBA team, which I said earlier, Sacramento Kings. How were you able to get into NBA? You know, it's very hard to be part of any team. Um, I'll, I'll share the exact story with you, man. Uh, here's what happened. We had uh, a facilities manager. Mm-hmm. I don't want to put his name up there, but mm-hmm. he was in charge of the facilities when I was coaching at Sacramento State University. Mm-hmm. Sacramento State is considered a mid-major yeah. because I think they don't have any, quote, low majors. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're a low major in Division I. Uh, Sacramento State, uh, where I coached, uh, did not have a great deal of success in terms of wins and losses. Uh, it's where I also went to school, but it's the truth. Uh, nonetheless, I had an opportunity to coach there at my alma mater later where we got a little bit better. But we had a fellow who uh, was in charge of the facilities. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a lesson that, that I'd like to share with your viewers or anyone else about it's just how you treat the next man. And uh, this, this man was um, in charge of turning on things like the heat and the lights and making sure the courts and facilities were always available for practice time or for uh, game time and those types of things. And so um, we'd had a few experiences he and I did where things weren't. Your podcast journey starts here. Take the first step on your side. Hustle with us. It starts with a great domain. Get your podcast web host with Beard and Coffee at www.com beardandcoffee.com.au or find us at Facebook. As prepared as I'd hoped they would be, mm-hmm. and it trickles down, I was the low man on the totem pole in the coaching staff. 
So I'm the one who gets yelled at when they weren't prepared at, when they weren't prepared. But um, the facilities guy was the one in charge and uh, I always respected him. And I always knew he was working hard, even though mistakes might've been made here and there. So I never really got uh, too upset at him. Well, coincidentally, what I didn't realize is also the facilities manager for the Sacramento Kings. And so um, he was also making sure that Arco Arena at the time was set up for the NBA games and all. And uh, there were times where he and I could have um, maybe had disagreements, uh, but you want to make sure that as a grown man, you keep all of your emotions uh, kind of in check. And um, even when there were mistakes, we managed to work things out together. And I got a call one afternoon. I was having some sushi at my favorite sushi spot. Yeah, with my uncle. And I got a call uh, from this gentleman who said, you know, coach, I don't know if you know this, but I also am the facilities guy for the Sacramento Kings. And they need somebody to come in and be the head video scout. And I told him you might be able to do it. So, um that was the beginning for me. And, I, and the reason I told you this story, brother, was because there were a number of times where I felt frustrated with this particular individual uh, and, and uh, what he'd done. But I never lost my temper with him. I, uh, I always knew that if I had to take if I had to take the brunt of the gym not being ready, I was going to do that. But I, I always treated him with respect. And um, there were times where I was frustrated but you still treat the next man with respect. And um, so eventually I got that phone call from this man who had watched out for me. And uh, I'd known, I guess at that point that thank God I never really snapped or got (laughs) got too angry at this man because he looked out for me in the end and he gave me an opportunity to go interview with Sacramento Kings. and, and that was the beginning for me, just getting a foot in the door. And, I, and it came absolutely from the guy who opens the gym, takes out the trash, and does all the, the grimy things that you need to have done. And so he gave me that opportunity, and I respect him uh, always. Can you describe to me what does a video coordinator do? How do what's the main job? that you do in you know in yeah um, it is a wonderful job uh, Kiko it it, uh, it sounds like you're the guy I realize for your fans it may sound like the guy who puts uh the video clips that you see of highlights and that's nothing about what it does mm-hmm. what the video scout does and, and um I went from being both what they call a video scout I was in an advanced scout that goes on the road to see things but the video scout is where I I really feel like I got my education in basketball. I had already been a Division One coach. Uh, I had learned the basics of how to teach offense and defense at that level. But when I got to the NBA, it was a real revelation in terms of the nuanced differences, how quickly you can recognize uh, defensive coverages or offensive uh, sets. Um, when you have a 35-second shot clock like the U.S. does in college, things take a longer time to develop in the NBA you get down there and in two or three seconds they're already in the action that you want to get to whereas at the university level it may take them 15 20 seconds to get to that same action Uh, so I I felt like when I first went from the collegiate level uh, or university level to the NBA 
it was moving so fast, it was tough for me to recognize. And uh, I was a little bit intimidated, if I'm honest with you, man. I see. Now, uh, of course, you, you do the video scouting. Uh, during your time, who was the toughest player to plan for a defense for the Sacramento Kings? <laughs> hey, I'll tell you right now, Kiko, this is a real easy call for me. And you won't think it, uh, or your viewers won't expect what I'm going to say. Because yeah. you'd think, listen, Kobe Bryant kicked our ass more times than I can even count. Uh, there is no coverage for a LeBron James when you're that good. Yeah. Um, some of these guys are so good. But in terms of the meeting, so when coaches are getting together and discussing what type of coverages you want to use, mm -hmm. the most difficult player to prepare for, Dirk Nowitzki. Oh. Dirk Nowitzki uh, was a seven-foot player. So, I mean, he wasn't the tallest player in the league at the time, but he's one of the tallest. And he might have been the best shooter in the game. So when you're talking about a guy that's, that had that size and that shooting ability, in terms of coaching, the way you decide to guard it changes everything. And so we know what Kobe's going to do. You know what LeBron's going to do. You know you can't guard them if they've got the ball in their hand and, and they're going to take someone off the dribble. Everyone needs to hedge toward them. But when you're dealing with a guy who's seven foot one and the best shooter, <laughs> it's a whole nother um, issue of defensive principles you have to think about. And so, yeah, it may sound crazy to your viewers, but I've been in those meetings and deciding do you show on the pick and roll? Do you switch? Do you go under and stay with him? Those are the type of coverages that coaches are thinking through. Uh, and Dirk is just impossible because <laughs> when the tallest guy on the floor is the best shooter on the floor, the coverage that you have to choose to do can be tricky from a coaching perspective. And it's different. Like I said, you can't guard LeBron and you can't guard Kobe because that's just who they are as players. But in terms of preparation, no one was worse than Dirk to prepare for because there's nothing you can do with a seven foot one guy who shoots threes that way. Okay. So from the NBA, what made you decide to go to the other side of the world, which is Asia? Was it a hard decision for you to, to make, especially you are already in the NBA. And of course, was it a hard adjustment? Um, so I think there's a couple questions there, Kiko. The first yeah. is that uh, in terms of making a decision, I had loved my time and enjoyed my time in the NBA. Mm -hmm. I had started out as the assistant video uh, scout, become the video scout, and then what they call an advanced scout, where you travel before the team does to watch the team you're going to play mm -hmm. in a couple of days. And I'd be happy to break that down for you as well. Yeah. Um, but but that, was the, that was the first part. Uh, is is developing that skill set. Deciding to leave the NBA wasn't, um, I, I was looking for a, a new adventure. I, I'm open, I was always open to see some other parts of the world. And to go to Indonesia from the NBA, it did sound like a bit of a crazy move. Um, and I've spoken to some guys that I really trusted at the time, uh, there was a, an owner of the Philadelphia 76ers who's from Indonesia, as well as a, a mentor of mine 
who was one of the uh, assistant owners uh, of that Philadelphia 76ers team. And um, we worked together to try and kind of build something. And so heading out there, I was scared to death. <laughs> I was scared. Um, uh, I had seen things on the news and, and, and coming from America, I'd had um, all, 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 all the apprehensions you can imagine. I really had those. And um, I was just mistaken. I got to Indonesia and uh, I was treated with kindness and I was treated with respect. Um, and you, there are obviously some re uh, cultural, religious and every other kind of difference you can imagine. But my experience there was at the highest level and I'm very appreciative of those Indonesian uh, fans and people there. I see. And then, uh like you said, you handled the Indonesia Warriors for the end. You you guided them to an NBA ABL championship. I mean, how were was you able, to, how were you able to get it? You know, was it? Do you believe it was just luck, or you consider your team a strong one? <laughs> I suppose it's always going to be a combination of those two. <laughs> um, I was very fortunate, uh, man, and my first year. I had uh, I, I had um, a team that was able to win a championship there in the ABL. Yeah. Um, I brought in a veteran in Steve Thomas, who was really the anchor of our team. He is uh, he's become one of my best friends in life. So outside of basketball, our fans are everywhere. Steve and I talk all the time. We mostly talk about barbecuing, not about basketball. But I love the fact that. Uh, <laughs> We could talk about those times too, and we shared those times together. Um, I was nervous, and I, I I just did as best I could at the time. Um, but what I didn't understand is this: I think I knew the game of basketball, Kiko. What I didn't know was um, the culture of Southeast Asia. So I went there thinking, okay, this is going to be right in my wheelhouse, and I was entirely mistaken. So I went there and realized. I've got to do a whole lot of adjusting as a man, as a human being, and um, understand that I'm in a different culture uh, and respect their culture and do everything outside of trying to beat my opponents. And so there was a combination of, of things to navigate at that point. And I think some guys were able to do it. And for some guys, it's too uncomfortable to be outside of that comfort zone. I see. Now, when when Indonesia Warriors won the ABL championship, you know it started, you know your name suddenly uh, burst into the basketball scene uh, in Southeast Asia, and then this was the time you know uh, you were asked to go to the Philippines, right? How 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 did you you know who and how were you able to you know enter the Philippine basketball? So, uh, Kiko, I'll, I'll be real honest with you, and I'm going to talk about some things right now for your viewers that can that can be uh, maybe uh, that they should receive as sensitive because it was it was a good time for me and a difficult time in some ways. So, um, I was contacted by the Philippines after I'd won my first ABL championship in my first year as a head coach. Yeah. Uh, we did. We went into the Philippines and, and, and we beat that team there. I think it was a San Miguel Beerman yes, yes. at the time, coached by Bobby Park Sr., a mm -hmm. friend of mine. Um, 
rest in peace. He was a wonderful man, a wonderful competitor. And um, he and I were friends for a limited time, but, but had, had a real respect and I appreciate him and his son very much so. And I, I'll reach out uh, to, to Bobby Parks Jr. as well, let him know. Are you a podcaster who's getting frustrated because your show results are not in your favor? Are you losing hope because you feel like podcasting doesn't help you generate income? Are you a podcast service provider who is struggling to meet your clients' expectations? If yes, head on to www.podkai.com. Book a call with the founder of Podkai Media, Kai Villanueva, and get clear and proven strategies to earn through podcasting. To look... To let him know my thoughts uh, on, on his pops as well, man. He was just a wonderful dude and uh, a real competitor. So that first year uh, we competed. Uh, I was just lucky. Uh, we probably stole a championship there. Um, and I was able to, um, yeah, start off my career on a good note. I had really uh, players that were playing for me in Steve Thomas, in Evan Brock, And then we acquired a player uh, named Stan Pringle, who you might be familiar with. Yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I went out and found him. And certainly that behooved us in the first year or two. <laughs> and then, <laughs> uh, what do you think you know, when, during your time, what do you think about, you know, what do you think of Philippine basketball in general? It's unbelievable. It's so wonderful for me. Uh, I come from a country that loves sports, as you know. Here in the U.S., we just love to compete. Uh, American football might be the most popular, but we love basketball and, and baseball. We love it all, and so we're just real competitors. Uh, the Philippines, when I, when I moved to Manila, it was the first time I think I'd lived in a country that basketball was their favorite sport. Yeah. I'll tell you, hold on, though. Let me take a step back for you, brother, because <laughs> when I was coaching in Indonesia with the Indonesia Warriors, Yeah. We went to play at the time, the Philippine Patriots. Mm -hmm. And so we were in the Philippines and we'd taken a cab, a taxi cab. And while we we're taking the taxi cab, me and a player was Steve Thomas. Mm -hmm. And the taxi cab driver looked back at me in the Philippines, mind you. And he said, hey, you're the coach of the Indonesia Warriors. <laughs> and people in Indonesia didn't know that, but people <laughs> in the Philippines did. And it was because that's how popular basketball was there. And I, he, the guy caught me totally off guard. I was like, yeah, you're right. But it was because that's how much basketball meant in the Philippines. So this dude knew who I was for the other team. And people in that country didn't know who I was. So uh, it was, an, it, I remember we laughed about it a good while we got back. But he knew exactly. We knew the Philippine uh, people were serious about basketball. And it was absolutely wonderful. It really was. So you you handled the San Miguel or Petron, if I'm not missing, what was the name during that time? How how prepared were you? Especially you entered the team that was kind of you know having some problems chemistry wise. Yeah, that was an interesting uh, endeavor for me. So I had been a head coach for two years. I'd left the NBA. I'd been a head coach for two years with Indonesia. Had some some relative success, however you want to uh, quantify that. But uh, and then the Philippines uh, brought me over there. San Miguel specifically, I think, felt listen. Indonesia doesn't ever win here, and, and we did. So I was approached by the San Miguel Corporation, uh, 
at that point about joining them. Uh, they were very professional. I let them know uh, that uh, my that I had a contract in Indonesia and they waited till it was done and then they approached me and uh, they were very professional. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what the rules are specifically now uh, relative to before, but you couldn't have foreign uh, coaches, I think, as the head coach. They brought me in um, as a consultant. Yes. And um, I was just treated really well. I, I really was. So I, I have so much... Uh, appreciation for the San Miguel Corporation and how they treated me. The dynamic of not of having to be a consultant as opposed to the coach was, was a little bit tricky for me. It was the first time I'd ever dealt with that type of dynamic. Mm. I was lucky to deal with, uh, you know, Gia Benila, yeah. uh, mm. Al Francis Chua, uh, and mm. I became good pals when I was there. I don't know mm. if you know uh, Al that well, but wonderful guy and he and I had spent some time together. We didn't get to work on the same team. I think he was kind of working with Enebra when yeah. I was working with uh, <laughs> what was Patron at the time and then we bounced back to San Miguel, but a wonderful guy and uh, you know, hey, maybe life gives us a chance to work together later, but I thought the world of him, thought the world of Gia Manila, uh, uh, Ramon Ang, who was uh, who uh, was the president and, and the of the San Miguel team, I was really treated professionally there and absolutely loved it. I wanted nothing more than to bring them a championship. Were you pressured when you entered the when you entered the PBA? Do you feel any pressure at the time? <laughs> I think uh, you know when you're when you're a competitor, nobody really puts more pressure on you than yourself, and so. I'm relentlessly on myself about what mistakes I made. I can come home after a win and I, uh, you hear something I've gotten good at, brother. I, is, I don't read any media at all. It's in good. terms <laughs> after my game. So I'll read it later, uh, but I don't read media in terms of what happened in our game. I evaluate that. I'll talk to other coaches and such. But I would stay away from social media because that has a lot of people's feelings. And I love those feelings. I respect them. But I also know that um, if you want to be a professional uh, sports coach, you better be thick skinned and be able to make your own decisions on what you believe is best and what's best for those guys. And so I, 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 uh, the Philippines helped me get better at that, for sure. <laughs> if you were given a chance to grade your stint, in the pro league, in the PBA, how would you grade it? Wow. You know, <laughs> uh, to create a stint would be a, uh, that's a real interesting question, bro. Yeah. I, um, I, I would say this, I wouldn't want to go into it being my third year as a head coach. Yes. Um, the, the Philippines has had such a, a wonderful league, such a league with history, Uh, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, it's the second oldest league of the NBA, professional basketball league, yeah. and it has so many fans that I love so much. I wish I would have had maybe a little more experience uh, and been a little bit older, so to deal with the uh, the social dynamics and some of the other parts that, as a man, I wasn't as familiar with. Mm -hmm. The basketball side, I was probably pretty cool on, but. Um, I wish I could have been a little more experienced as a human being to enjoy uh, 
uh, everything I had around me uh, to to accept that pressure and and, and to do my best at it. Uh, I, I look back at it with such wonderful memories. The people that I met, the lessons I learned were incredible. Uh, it's you can't find a league like the PBA in this world. You just can't. And the passion they have is immeasurable. And I'm so thankful for it. I wish I was a little more experienced so I could have navigated some things better. But, hey, that's part of learning to be a coach. Yes. And I take that. After, you know, the the Philippines, you resurfaced, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, in Vietnam uh, as the national team head coach and Of course, for the Hanoi Buffaloes, am I correct? Correct, correct, okay. yes. So, uh, what were the challenges that you faced when you were given the task to handle it? Those things. So, uh, well, I can tell you very specifically. I'll be honest with you, Kiko. Uh, when I left the Philippines, I anticipated. I was, um, I'm tight with a, a, an ownership group here in, in the states mm-hmm. that we anticipated was about to purchase an NBA team. Oh. And um, out of respect to them, I don't want to go into too many details, yes, but yes. we thought it was a done deal on more than on one team and as a backup plan, a second team. Mm-hmm. That was part of my departure in the Philippines was very amicable with uh, uh, Mr. Ramon Ung, with, with all those guys who were running it. Is, uh, we thought we, I thought I had something going and it didn't come to fruition. Mm-hmm. And so there was another uh, 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 ownership group that bought that team. And so I'd wait a little bit. And I've got a, a couple of mentors out here that, whose advice I rely on. Uh, I'm getting old, man. I'm pushing 50. At 48, I should be the mentor. <laughs> But at this point, I was probably relying on some cats to give me some advice. And they said, listen, you, you, if it doesn't Uh, work out right now that uh, you're going to go back, you're going to be a member of um, an NBA's uh, front office management. You mm-hmm. want to get your name back out there. So uh, I had some uh, contacts that actually hit me up that were in the ABL before. Uh, so the current, uh, I believe the current CEO mm-hmm. of the ABL is Connor Wynn. And uh, he was uh, the G- general manager of the uh, Saigon Heat at the time. Okay. And so we knew one another. When they were building a league out there, uh, he reached out to me, and uh, I, I thought, uh, "Hey, this would be a real, a cool endeavor to help build basketball in in Vietnam." Now, now, while, and I'll be honest, Kiko, it was the least experience level I've ever coached. So, you want to start a podcast, or perhaps you've already started one, but you're still unclear on how you can actually make this podcasting work. No worries. That's why we're here for you. We are Gorilla Podcast Syndicate, powered by Kangaroo Fern Media Lab. Join our network. Contact us at info at kangaroofern.com because we're stronger together. So uh, they didn't have the experience of the teaching that I was normally familiar with. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you what, those fans were fired up. And they didn't know a thing about basketball, and they were cheering their asses off. And I, I really appreciated them. They were going nuts, even though they really didn't know the nuances. And I fell in love with it. So it, it was, it was a wonderful experience. It wasn't um, a, a, an elite level experience for basketball, but I loved those people and those fans. 
So if you were given a chance to be part, you know, of the teams that you handled before, which team do you want to handle again? <laughs> well, I mean, heck, man, that's a loaded question right yeah. there. I have a San Miguel team that I think has won like 87 straight championships since I left. <laughs> so to say that I wouldn't, that I'd like to coach June Marvajardo and Chris <laughs> Ross and Arwen Santos. And yeah, I think we were probably a couple of months away from doing something special. But, uh, <laughs> hey, the man in me could not be happier for those guys. And uh, Chris Ross and I talked. Um, I brought him there to San Miguel uh, when he was with another team. And uh, I thought defense wins championships. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the time, I thought, oh, this Chris Ross can't shoot a lick, but he'll defend anybody on the court. Yeah. He's my kind of guy. And so, yeah, I brought him over. And um, now he can score. He can do some scoring now. And he and I have remained friends for a long time. But uh, he's not the only one. I I love and respect those guys. Um, They've had success that uh, I'm so happy for guys like G, Avanila. I'm happy for Leo, who was an assistant coach for me one year. We've competed against one another. Uh, There's a number of guys on that staff and, and, and team that I'm just so I can't wipe the smile off my face for them. That's just the way it is. So, as, for example, you were given another chance. Aside from San Miguel Beer, which team in the PBA that you would love to handle? Oh, wow. So, <laughs> it, it, here's the thing. As a coach, um, I guess when you're doing a, 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 a podcast, you want to honest truth is that I've been a hell of a lot better coach at bringing low-level teams Mm -hmm. to the playoffs and competing for a championship than I have as a coach who's coaching the most talented team. Mm -hmm. So I think I probably had the most talented team there in San Miguel. And uh, we competed. We were a couple of minutes away from a championship or two, and, and, and we came up short. And so that's something that I've always known as a coach I need to get better at. And I'll continue to work on that. Uh, but I've looked at some of these other teams in the PBA who I think have a player or two is good, but they may not be one of those uh, big name teams. Okay. And uh, I feel for them. I feel for their fans. And you and I both know there's a certain group of teams that tend to win an awful lot in the PBA. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, if I had to do it again or do something different, I would want to work with the team that has never had those opportunities, that didn't necessarily have those resources, uh, and that wanted to come from maybe one of the teams that had had won lesser games to be a team that could compete is more in in, in my neighborhood, bro. So uh, basically, you know, looking back, I was wondering, whoa, yeah, it it was Coach Todd who planted the seeds. I remember for the San Miguel to, you know, to rise above once again, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't take that type of credit, man. Yeah. I, I think before, uh, when I took them over the previous year, they'd gone about 500. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to, 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 to win some games. But yeah. to be honest, we weren't able to get over the top until Leo Austria took over. Yeah. And Leo was able to get that team over the top, mm-hmm. and he deserves all the credit for it because um, – 
Yeah, you have to do the things it takes to win championships, and that's what he was able to do, bro. Now, uh, if you will be, you know, battling, we'll talk about international basketball. Now, if you would be battling the Philippines or facing the Philippines in international basketball, which you have, uh, what would be your strategy against the Philippine team? <laughs> That's a tough The Philippines have a couple of different teams and a couple of different styles. Um, the last time I was in the Philippines, I was there with the Wolf Warriors, and we managed to steal a win. Um, and it felt good for me because I got to see all my old pals in the Philippines, and uh, they at least knew that I still knew one or two things about basketball to compete. Um, you know, the, the Philippines was, at this point, they've really taken exponential steps above other Southeast Asian countries to be the dominant um, basketball team there. Uh, they've got a number of players who, who, are, who are competing overseas. And so I, I'm not even too sure that you look at it in those terms. You don't look at it as, how do I beat the Philippines? Um, I, I always look at it as, how do we get better? And if we get close to where the Philippine team is, I'll decide how we <laughs> try and knock off a player or two here and there. But at this point, no, the, 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 uh, the Philippines, in terms of Southeast Asian basketball, are so inundated with talent relative to their competition that I don't think, I think it's silly to try and figure out how you beat them. Maybe, you know, Thailand's got a couple of good players. Uh, you know, Vietnam's gotten better, but still, certainly, the, the, the Philippines is head and shoulders in terms of talent above the other Southeast Asian countries. In my opinion. What do you think should the Philippines do to improve its standing uh, in Asia? Well, like what you said, uh, they're head and shoulders above the competition in uh, in Southeast Asia. But in yeah. Asia, they're trying, you know, they're having a hard time. They're like in the top, top five teams in Asia. And of course, you know, you, you know what happened in the world championships. So what do you think should the Philippines do to improve its performance in world basketball? Yeah, so I feel, I feel comfortable telling, telling you this. Uh, just, just We are Independent Podcast Network. We are Guerrilla Podcast Syndicate. Would you like to hear your brand while supporting quality podcasts? Contact us now at advertise at guerrillapodcastsyndicate.com. Uh, coach to coach or man to man is uh, you have to put your pride to the side and you have too many entities in the Philippines that are pulling the best players in different directions. The Philippines has the talent. The fans have the passion. They've got the coaching skill set there to compete on the highest level. What, what my understanding has been is that you have different entities pulling the best players in different directions whether it's toward the national team, whether it's toward um, a, a professional team that's owned by one set of owners or a professional team that's owned by another set of owners. The bottom line is these, these people, in, I think, that have all the influence have to set their pride aside and say, we want the best Philippine players to compete for our country. And we don't give a darn if it means our local or our professional team suffers this year or next year. We want the Philippines to be represented with the best Filipino players. 
And I think when that happens and you get everyone on board in the same way, there are going to be some other countries that realize the proficiency and, and skill of Filipino basketball because it's a whole shitload of talent. It's a whole bunch of passion. And once all those best players and those coaches kind of come together, um, you're going to have a whole nother level of a product that you're putting out against the rest of the world. And I've just seen it sometimes. I think you have a couple of players that aren't able to participate here and there or a coach who, who doesn't contribute because of some different factions. So if you get those things squared away, sky's the limit, bro. Now, before we end, we, I do have some questions, you know, just fast questions. The first sure. that comes to your mind, you just, uh, you know, say it. So who do you consider the best Filipino player right now, aside from Junmar Fajardo? <laughs> you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I, yeah. uh, I'm going to say Jordan Clarkson. Is that fair? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he has some blood. You know? So, oh, uh, yeah. favorite Sacramento Kings player when you were with the team before? Francisco Garcia. Whoa. He's the coolest dude you ever want to meet. Guys don't know about him as much. He controlled the locker room. He was a leader. He was funny. And it's one of those guys that you don't know behind the scenes is really the man. Francisco Garcia. Favorite coach to match wits with? You know, favorite coach to, you know, the coach that would, you know, motivate you if you see his name, his team. Oh, I want to, you know. Let, let, me, finish. let me say, first <laughs> of all, I loved competing against Tim Cohn who got the best of me. Um, he beat me in a championship series. We both had good teams. I think the world of his ability to coach. Um, and so I enjoyed competing against him uh, and respect him so much. Mm -hmm. That being said, my favorite guy to compete against is a guy named Kevin Yerkes because he's my good friend. Uh, and we go at each other's throats and I'm trying to kill him. He's trying to kill me. We'll go have beers afterward. <laughs> and uh, talk some shit to each other. And uh, he's my favorite guy to compete against. Although uh, I want to make sure that uh, your Filipino fans know, in terms of competing against Tim Cohn, I knew I was competing against elite level coach. The, the PBA player that you ha had a hard time planning for a defense. Yeah. Bo Belga. <laughs> Why? Why? Bo Belga would pick and pop with a hot. We'd have Jumar, uh, uh, Junmar, and I love June, but Bo Belga would pick and pop to the top of the key, which meant I had to come up with a coverage that could make Junmar show on the pick and roll and get back to Bo. And I swear to God, Bo might have shot 30% against every other team, but I felt like he shot 70% against us from three-point range. He busted our ass, and I hated coaching against him because he'd pick and pop, and he'd hit threes, and it drove me nuts. And it was then, an easy call, bro. And then he has this tendency, you know, to to have this pump fake. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it looked like it was slow motion. He'd get all the way to the rim and lay it up, and it just hurt my feelings. So much respect to Bo Belga and and and, and that team, man. He, he, he kicked my ass, and I respect it. 
Okay, so we have NBA questions here. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure if you have seen this, uh, you know, this meme before. Uh, I'll be giving you three players. Uh, you choose who will you play, who will you bench, who will you cut? Kevin Garnett, Giannis, or Kawhi? Kevin Garnett, Giannis, Giannis or Kawhi, Leonard. Or Kawhi. Yeah. Well, that's tough. <laughs> um, but I think Kevin Garnett at this point, uh, uh, yeah, he, he's won championships. He's seven feet. He's um, he, He's got those leadership type of skills, too. So he's going to bring a little more to the table. Kawhi Leonard is a ferocious defensive player, uh, and I love defense. So certainly he ranks up there high, but uh, and he has won a championship. But there was something about Kevin Garnett. Now, one of my best friends who coaches now, his name is Rex Kalamian. He's the head assistant for the Sacramento Kings. He was, he's with, with the, uh, the Clippers before that with Doc Rivers. And you'll hear his name, Rex Kalamian, as an NBA head coach mm-hmm. here in the next couple of years. Uh, and he, he shared with me some special memories about Kevin Garnett and the type of player that he was, but more than that, the type of man that he was in the locker room and what he did for other players. And so uh, I guess I'm a little bit biased at having him share that with me. I know kind of what, what Kev did for him, and that means something. Now, uh, Giannis is a hell of a player. They call him the Greek freak for a reason, <laughs> but you got to win. You have to win some things uh, before I'm going to go ahead and, and, and put you in that corner. So, uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to go with guys who've won, and then because I, I've heard a couple of things, I would slightly say Garnett on that one, brother. Uh, so it would be... Garnett play, bench Kawhi, and cut Giannis. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> How about this? Hey, uh, now, yeah. Hey, so let me tell you, when I had Ka- when Kawhi came out, Kawhi was coming out of uh, San Diego State University. Mm-hmm. He was a, a power forward, so he was a straight four man. He was not didn't play on the wing in college. We brought him in for a workout when I was in the NBA. We worked him out, and I really misjudged him. I'll be straight with you. I thought, well, he's a four man who's undersized. Mm -hmm. So he had not shown any ability to play uh, the perimeter the way we, the way he does now in pro. Obviously it appears a guy named Greg Popovich thought that he could and knew more than I did. So yeah, he ended up doing some things, but at the time we worked him out. We brought him into Sacramento. I watched him over an NBA workout and thought, well, this guy is a good player, but he just seems like an undersized four and I'm not too sure he can play the perimeter. I was mistaken, buddy. I was mistaken. Uh, How about this? Uh, Russell, Shaq or Wilt? (laughs) Uh, Well, Yeah, I'm, I'm going with Wilt. You can't score 100 points. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'll take Wilt. I'll put Shaq on the bench, and I'll cut Russ on that one. And, and I like Russ. Um, you know, a, a, a story, a, a quick story about Russ is that um, when I, I had worked for a coach named Paul Westfall. Oh, Paul yeah. Westfall. Oh, yeah. So, Paul was a mentor to me in the NBA, and he, he had coached Charles Barkley, 
Kevin Johnson and Dan Marley and those guys when they lost to Jordan in the finals. Yes, yes. And, and, and um, he was a mentor to me. And so he was someone I really respected. And he had mentioned before that when he coached in college, Russell Westbrook committed to come play for him. Um, I want to say it was Pepperdine or Loyola Marymount. It was a West Coast school. And, but that's the way the, the recruiting process works. UCLA had a guy who dropped out at the last minute mm -hmm. and Russ then left Paul Westfall's uh, commitment, went to UCLA instead. I think he made a play with Darren Collison and some real good players, but uh, I remember Paul was he was always sore about it because he's like, I almost had an, uh, an NBA MVP coming to play for me in the big West conference, but it didn't quite work out. Okay. Uh, Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, Steph Curry. Yeah, Steph. Steph just, he's too much, man. He's uh, <laughs> off the dribble. It, there's, uh, he almost changed. Yeah, I, I, like Re uh, I like Reggie Miller. He talked a lot of shit that I enjoyed. He, yeah, he'll give it to the fans. <laughs> he gave the choke to Spike Lee. That was so entertaining. Yeah, and, and Ray Allen's hit big shots for multiple teams. He, whether it was with the Seattle Supersonics back in the day, whether it was the Miami Heat, when he hit that shot in the corner, he's done so many things. But, um, you know, I'm a Northern California dude. So uh, Steph Curry's a legend out here. Um, and uh, I think the world of him. You know, uh, I'll tell you another quick story is when we brought Steph Curry in for a workout with the Sacramento Kings, oh, yeah. we brought him in with a number. Oh, yeah. We brought him in with a number of other good guards. We brought a bunch of other good point guards in at the time, and uh, including, I believe, Tyreek Evans at the time. And Tyreek was too big for those guys. Mm -hmm. So he was able to kind of uh, use his, his size um, to, to blow, uh, to get to the rim and all. And it, it didn't look as good for Steph Curry at the time. But again, you have to take those individual workouts the way you do with game film with a grain of salt and put them all together. Certainly Steph Curry was a lot better than we realized during an individual workout. And, uh, what an ambassador for basketball he's been. I think the world of him, bro. I see. So it would be play for Curry. Who will you bench? Who will you who will you call? Yeah, I'm probably cutting Ray Allen on that one. I and see. That, that's as good as and man, that, that, you know, I take it back. I think I'd keep Ray Allen and cut Reggie Miller. Reggie Miller would talk some trash to me outside as he left the left the building, but uh <laughs> Ray Allen just, he's made too many, man. So I'd have to take the verbal abuse from Reggie Miller and cut him, I think. Okay. Uh, how about Carl Malone, Tim Duncan, and Kevin Garnett? Yeah, Tim Duncan. I'm a big Tim Duncan guy. Not only is he fundamental, but uh, his leadership skills. I had mentioned KG earlier uh, before some other personal context, but uh, Tim Duncan was someone that I always looked up to at the time. So it would be play for Team Duncan. Who will you cut? Who will you bench? Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss an episode by clicking on the subscribe button now. This podcast is possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Oh, well, I'll keep Tim. I'll probably put uh, KG on the bench. <laughs> But he's not going to be happy about that. I might have to cut AG so I didn't have to listen to him 
to him curse me out from the bench. <laughs> that might be the adjustment I had to make. <laughs> okay. So uh, how about this? We have the point guards. So we have uh, Steph Curry, Steve Nash, Jason Kidd. Oh, boy. That is tough. I used to watch Jason Kidd when I was a kid. So I'm out here in California. Jason Kidd played up here in, in Oakland, California. He was a point guard that was dunking on guys. So I watched him. I, I got a couple years on him, but not too much. I'd watch him in high school uh, just be a monster at the point guard position. So it was really cool. Um, that being said, nobody made the game easier for teammates and more fun to watch than Steve Nash, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a nightmare to prepare for in the NBA. He made every player around him better. Those guys who all left the Phoenix Suns teams to go make huge salaries somewhere else all owe a portion of it to <laughs> Steve Nash, who upped their numbers before they signed those contracts because those teams used to beat the hell out of us when I was in Sacramento, <laughs> and Steve Nash was the reason, bro, and he, he, he was that good. So it would be play for Nash. Who will you bench? Who will you cut? Curry or Kidd? Oh my word! <laughs> Torture. I guess I. I guess to say you'd bench Jason Kidd makes me a fool. Yeah. But I guess that's what I'd have to say. Yeah. Steph's gonna come off the bench and shoot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably the way I'd go. Okay, so we have last one: LeBron, Kobe, Michael Jordan. Uh, LeBron James to me, and, and I know I'm an older dude, so a bunch of old dudes are going to tell me, coach, <laughs> you're a real traitor because Jordan was the man and he didn't lose. Uh, and I feel him. I really do. But uh, athletes these days get bigger, faster, stronger, more athletic, more knowledgeable. They just do. Uh So while I love Michael Jordan and he was the ultimate competitor, uh, you know, I, I, Michael Jordan, I, I think, was about 6'6", 225. Yes, 6'6", something like that. Those are, those are basketball measurements, which mm -hmm. means you're 6'5", 215. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know how we like to exaggerate those measurements. Yes, But yes. LeBron James is about 6'8", 270. And I've spoken with players who tried to guard him who who had just told me he's just too big and strong he's too athletic so at this point as big a fan as i was of michael jordan and you can't how do you say a guy who goes six for six in championships to finish second i just think today's athlete is better than yesterday's athlete and uh so yeah uh, lebron james to me is the ultimate uh he can guard all five positions he can play all five He could lead the league in assists if he wanted to. Quite frankly, I think if he really put his mind to it and didn't want to score, I think he could lead the league in rebounds. Yeah. That's, that's the type of player I think he is. And so, yeah, I, I, uh, I give the nod to LeBron James. Okay. hope that doesn't make me a new school guy. <laughs> I'm old by nature, <laughs> So right now, you know, the NBA has, you know, restarted, uh, started last December. Uh, who do you think will win the NBA? championship for 2020-2021? Oh, well, uh, ooh, it's going to be tough. Uh, the Lakers, I would assume, will go back. And, and you know, 
Brooklyn just made a trade. So they've got some real superstars on that team. But I don't think that's uh, that's how you win it. So I, I, I think uh, someone else comes from the East other than Brooklyn, despite their superstars. I think you'd be looking at maybe the Lakers against the Celtics. Um, uh, 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 I, I look at teams. I, I think so. Yeah, Celtics are struggling a little bit, but I look at teams who are going to play defense ultimately. I think Brad Stevens is a big defensive coach. Uh, I know people talk about Milwaukee. Uh, they're certainly talented. And they can put up points, but be careful of the teams who lock down on defense in the postseason. It's why the Toronto Raptors won, because the Toronto Raptors had like five all-defensive guys on their team. And people were surprised when they won. And I was telling my other coaching friends, like, this is no surprise. We can keep saying defense wins championships. But if you don't really believe it, then it is what it is. So when Toronto Raptors had Kawhi Leonard and Serge Ibaka and um, – I can solve. Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm drawing a blank on, on the point guard's name. Uh, Lowry. Lowry. Yeah, Kyle Lowry. You're talking about guys who are the best defensive players in their position. And uh, ultimately, I think that's what gives you an opportunity to, to win championships is the defensive side of the ball. I see. So, are you, I mean, do you still plan to, you know, to, to go to the NBA as part of the coaching staff or front office or your focus right now in, you know, in, uh, in coaching in Southeast Asia? Sure, yeah, no, not necessarily to go back to the NBA. I loved my time there. I got to experience everything that that, that, that uh, coaches do and how it works, and it was a great part of my coaching experience. If I were to go back to the NBA at this point, I would want it to be um, in a management position, in a scouting position, in a position that actually brings in international players uh, and, and helps develop it in a global sense. For an NBA team, I wouldn't. I don't have interest in necessarily coaching in the NBA. Uh, I would prefer to do that overseas. So uh, I like. Uh, I like being a head coach. I like being able to uh, be in charge of the personnel because I think that's really important for a head coach, especially overseas. Uh, to be in charge of the personnel is a big deal. So uh, no, no. My aspirations are to continue to enjoy this ride, and I wish it was a little more um, specific or direct. Than that for you, man. But I don't know what the next thing brings. I've been contacted by some other coaches about being the national team head coach on uh, coaches I've uh, on countries I've never been to. So uh, I'm just going to ride the wave as best it can and and try and create the relationships that have been beneficial to me in life. Because I don't remember the wins and losses nearly as much as I remember the guys that I that that uh, I grinded with. Okay, so one last question before you know sure. I, I, I give you the message to your supporters. Uh, of course, you know the basketball is somehow a religion in the Philippines, and of course they're still dreaming uh, that one day a pure a pure Filipino, uh, full black blooded Filipino will be able to play in the NBA. And of course, right now we do have one in NBA G League, which is Kai Soto. Uh, what do you think should Kai do to be able to, you know, go uh, to be able to play in the NBA? Because as far as I know, he's, he's standing seven three, and then but he has a, a slim frame. Uh, he's too sure. 
So what do you push. think should Kai do to improve or to be able to play in the NBA? Uh, I think you hit, well, you start to hit the nail on the head there, Kiko. Is number one, his frame is too slim. Mm-hmm. He has to commit to a physical sense of the game. Mm-hmm. If you want to be able to compete with guys on on the highest level in anything in the world, you better be willing to sacrifice. This is some of the things I talk about with my players is that sacrifice means doing the shit that you don't want to do. Mm-hmm. So the things that you like are cool to get better. But if you really want to become a better player, you got to do the things that you may not enjoy as much. And so he needs to get in the weight room. He needs to get in the weight room. He needs to get his nutrition right. And and I think that's part of it. So being 7'3 and skilled like he is, is wonderful. I say, oh, man, man's got some skill. And uh, he can do some things. He has to commit to getting his body right, whether he likes it or not. Whether whether lifting weights makes you feel uncomfortable, whether eating certain types of food you don't care for as much, you have to sacrifice to get your body right. And then I think he has to get his mind right as well. And getting your mind right, if you're going to compete in the NBA or higher level means um, almost putting a chip on your shoulder, you need to come in with a mentality uh, that's aggressive, that is... Um, unflappable that you know i belong here i'm a professional player and anyone who's in my way can just catch it i'll give them 30 i'll hit them in the mouth with an elbow i'll do what it takes and so i think and now that being said i've seen that mentality in the philippines that is not a mentality that's lacking amongst my filipino friends these cats love a, a, a physical brand of basketball. I remember having conversations with Arwen Santos about <laughs> physical basketball, and my man was right on the edge. <laughs> he was up to hit anyone, anywhere, if it meant getting an extra rebound. Yeah. And I love that about him. I respect that about him. So uh, I, I think Kai needs to take on a little bit more of that uh, Filipino mentality about what it takes to be grimy, what it takes to be physical. Uh, and that will. Uh, so those are the two things. He's certainly skilled enough. He's got the size enough. I'd say committing to his nutrition in a weight room, and then more specifically, taking on that Arwen Santos Filipino grimy mentality that says whomever I'm on the court with might get hit in the neck if I have to get a rebound. That's the way guys in the NBA are going to respect him, uh, even if they're the ones who get hit in the neck they're going to be the ones that respect him because you just can't go in soft, brother. You can't go in expecting anyone to give anything to you. So he needs to come a little thicker, a little more physical. And uh, he needs to call Arwin Santos about some tricks. <laughs> so uh, before we end, uh, do you have any message to your supporters, family, and the people who look up to you? You know, the fact that you'd even say there, that there were some fans or anyone that looked up to me, I love them with all my heart. Uh, I appreciate the Filipino fans so much. They gave me so much love when I was there. Uh, the, the way I speak about Filipino basketball when I'm talking here in the NBA or other guys here is that anyone here that I talk to knows how much uh, the Filipino people appreciate basketball, compete in it, and it's just a, a real honor and a pleasure to have ever performed in front of them. Uh, and I appreciate you too, man. I appreciate you, and I appreciate you having me on your show, brother. 
Thank you so much. So that wraps up another episode of Extra Session. I would like to say thank you to our guest, Coach Todd Birds. You know, I, I just said we'll we'll talk about 30 minutes, but I think it's about an hour already. So thank Good you so much. <laughs> thank you so much for the time that you gave to us, Coach. <laughs> My pleasure. Hey, much love to all the Filipino fans out there. I love you guys, and, and I appreciate what you bring to basketball. I look forward to seeing you again when I'm there in the ABL and whenever capacity, for yes, sure. Coach. So in behalf of the Guerrilla Podcast Syndicate Philippines, this has been your host, Kiko Maligdan. And like what I said, games are always exciting when there is extra session. Thank you for listening. Make sure to visit our website at www.guerrillapodcastsyndicate.com where you can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, rate and review this podcast and share it with your friends. You can also join the conversation with Gorillas RE on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please consider on making a donation to help us keep making the podcast you love. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. We are Independent Podcast Network. We are Guerrilla Podcast Syndicate. Would you like to hear your brand while supporting quality podcasts? Contact us now at advertise at guerrillapodcastsyndicate.com.